Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome. We're going to do Psalm 22. Hallelujah. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. His for kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules, he rules over the nations. All the, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. Hallelujah. He's awesome. Hallelujah. He's the Lord of lords. He's the ancient of days. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. He's the reason for my living. He's the reason for your living. And in him we live and move and have our being. Father, we acknowledge your presence here. Surely we can't do without you. We need you. You are the very breath we take in. Your name is breath. Hallelujah. We breathe you in this morning. Have your way with us. Have your way in us. We thank you that when you come, it all goes well. And you are here. We welcome you. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Just kind of stay in the same posture that we're in right now. And let's just let the body of Christ and God's people and his children and the family of God express to him our thankfulness for how good he is. I just verbally say, Father, 
that there's not a better father walking around this planet. I just verbally say that there's literally no other presence I want to be in than yours. I've tasted other things that have tasted good for a season, but nothing is sustaining. Nothing is lasting. You are forever. So whether we're in pain or in celebration today, you are good. No matter the mountain that we're on, the river we're in, the valley we're in, you are good. That will be forever. We thank you, God. We thank you, Father, for the good times. We thank you for the trials that give us benefits and lessons that we would never get outside of those. We don't run from pain, God. We run to you. And we're thankful as a body of Christ we can lean into you at every moment and we can lean into each other. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you that we are your people, that we are blessed. We are favored. We are your children. We are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I joked that they should have let me preach first and then done it, but <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, well, thank you for doing that. Um, really does mean a lot, man. There were, I felt called to ministry and church planning, and you'll hear a little bit about it in my story today, but um, many years ago, and the entry route was to just start serving as much as I could. And so the way you get one of those certificates, you just serve a lot, apparently, because that's really just been the in route. Like, it's just baffling to me that I am here and get to share in community with all of you. Um, I'm really thankful to be a part of a church that will, like, you guys have seen my, my lack and my insecurities and my my inabilities so many times and you've still loved me through it and so I'm just so thankful to be a part of a church where you can be yourself and you don't have to perform and you guys have seen the real me I think over the last four years and so you just need to know that if you're looking for a place where you can be at home and be yourself then this is the place for that. Are you guys all texting me at the same time? Because my phone is going nuts. So I'm going to pray just to start off, and then we're going to jump in. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it lights our path. God, I see you in these next 30-ish minutes, God, that you would light the path before us, that as we take steps forward through your word, that we see not just what is in others, but God, that you would cause us to evaluate ourselves, to reflect on who we are, and to see that you are a kind, loving, gentle Savior that's always drawing us back and back and back. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been talking about um, the table. This has been language that we've been using a lot over the last six months or so. And so if you've been here, you're probably like, man, they really beat this dead horse. But the table has become this way that we can use some common language to talk through community and our relationships with one another, our relationships with God. We use, like Josh said, Henry Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved, and it talks about being chosen, 
blessed, broken, and given for one another. And it's been a verse, specifically like Josh mentioned, where next week we'll actually preach this verse on the day that it's our birthday and we're dedicating the church, which is just baffling because this is the verse that we felt like this year we were supposed to focus on this verse. And we've been in Mark for a year and a half, and it falls on this day. It's really strange. So... We, I mean, it's all up on, it's all on our website. It's all, it's everywhere. We started a small group called Welcome to the Table, all centered around this. And so the table is this language, and the verse today, or the passage today, is about the preparation of the table. It's about the preparation of the Passover. And so I felt, and I don't know, maybe it was just me filtering through being ordained today, but I just felt, I actually had a hard time with this passage because there was a way that I could preach it that made me look really great. And then as I started to really, it took me a long time, but as I started to look at it, it made me have to look at things in myself that were just really hard to look at, and I didn't want to. And so I felt like today it was, I really was supposed to use this space as a, almost a way to confess to you and to invite you into confession with me. So we're going to jump in to this passage and just know that that God is drawing all of us to this table and this is a it's a beautiful place because it for God it, what it is where we gather together but the unique thing is that Jesus sits at this table with us it's not there's plenty of tables in our lives like we have tables at work in our families and our friends but in their, their communities, but they're not God's table. I, I've experienced God's table in those settings before where we've, I've invited Jesus in and there's been other believers there and I've grown in spiritual formation. But this, specifically this, this table where God is, Jesus is sitting there setting the example of, of death and us partaking in it in community is beautiful. And so it's an invitation for us and that's what's different about God's table. God's table is about communing with God, communing with others, and partaking in death. So we've been in Mark 14. Josh started last week, and he preached on the passage about Mary of Bethany and how she broke a bottle of perfume that would have cost upwards of $50,000 of what today's money would be and broke it on top of Jesus. And the disciples are baffled that, he, that she would do such a, a abysmal act that she would worship him in this way when she could have just sold that and given it to the poor. What we find is that that person, we, find, we see, actually see it in John, that person that was really accusing Mary is Judas. Judas is the one. Judas actually carried the money bag, and he would pilfer from, pilfer from it. And so... What Mark does is he sandwiches up this beautiful picture of submission and selflessness in Mary, and then he immediately starts talking about Judas. And it's this great, beautiful act of love faced with this beautiful or not-so-beautiful act of treachery. And it's just the beauty and the ugliness. And so, and, and what's baffling is the person who sits at the table is Judas, Right? Mary's not even actually at the table at the Last Supper. It's Judas. Right? And so we have to really be aware of where are we when we sit at this table. And I think that as we have to actually begin to look at it is 
you may not be the person in the story that you think you are. Because when I looked at it, I thought, man, I've got to be Mary, right? Like, you know, especially now I've got a certificate. I've got to be the one. I've got I've to have it together, right? That's not the case. It's not the case when we look deep within us, we see the treachery of our own souls, the ugliness of what, what we would do to betray. And so Mark has been, all throughout chapter 14, it's, he, he uses preparation as this tool to kind of to, to, to move towards the death of Jesus. He uses it in, in Mary. She, she takes it and he says that he, she pours this oil on him to prepare him for burial. And then you see it in Judas. He, he goes to the officials and talks to them and is preparing for a betrayal. And then you see the disciples in this passage today preparing a Passover meal. You see Jesus preparing the disciples for what to do after his death in the Last Supper. And then at the end of this, of this chapter, you see Jesus go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He begins to prepare himself for what it's going to take to, to touch the cross. And so it's this constant preparation. And then Jesus invites us into that preparation. He invites us into the preparation. And so what we have is with, with this picture of Mary at the beginning of Mark and then Judas, we see great submission and then we see Judas and we see great ambition. I will do whatever it takes. And I think that oftentimes, and I want to look at the motivation of Judas today and figure out why did he do what he did. And I think that what you'll see is I might have done the same thing. And that's, that's I've, I've wept over this message thinking about this because I, I think I might have done the same thing he did. And I think a lot of us probably would. So our submission gets us to this table, and our ambition will cause us to leave it. And Jesus is always drawing us back. Over and over again, he draws us to this table in community, in relationship, and we betray him, and he turns, he draws us back in to the table again. So if you'll pull up Mark 14, let's dive in. I'll read here. You guys can read behind me. We'll start in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to hand him over to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him silver. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Pause. The During the Passover, the the officials did not, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have taken and arrested Jesus during the Passover because they were afraid that the people would riot against them. So this is not a good time in the story for Jews for them to arrest Jesus. But they, they actually get an opportunity when Judas approaches them and says, hey, I'll give, I'll give him to you. And so they're like, okay, we should take the opportunity we have now. And so really the, the timing of Jesus being crucified at the Passover is, is really, really unique. Verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, 
Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, Where is the guest room for me to eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out. They entered the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. He changes gears a little bit. He goes, he's going to talk, now they're sitting at the Passover meal. Verse 17, when evening came, he arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him, one by one, surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. God, thank you for your word. It is a light to our feet. Guide us as we go. Guide us as we travel. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness that always leads us to repentance. And as I confess, as we confess together, may we feel your kindness. May it be palpable. May we taste it, hear it, sense it in the room as we preach in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's, first we have to talk about the Passover a little bit. So, the Passover is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This would have been a week-long feast um, during the same time every year, right? We see it in Exodus 12. There's a, there's a story uh, where there is, God is going to kill the firstborn, of every person in Egypt, every family. And so in order to liberate a, an afflicted, oppressed people group. And so God is going to do this thing, and he says, I'm going to, you need to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes, it's going to pass over, and it will not harm your families. And so what we see is Jesus comes on the scene, and he becomes the Passover. He becomes the Passover lamb. He dies and you put the blood over the doorpost of your life, he passes us over. This is what we see in the New Testament. And there would be no leaven in the home for seven days. So you would not be able to have any leaven. Leaven was a, a, a marker of sin. And so they would completely remove the leaven. And there was a lot of ritual attached to this. So they had to do a lot of things or a certain way. So if you pull up Isaiah 53, this is what it says in Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to be slaughtered. And as a sheep before its shears, it is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Pull up 1 Corinthians. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, 
has been sacrificed. So Jesus, Jesus essentially pictures himself as the, as the Passover. And so he's going to reframe the way that this meal is, is what it's even about. So they, this, this meal was just a memory of something old, but now it has something that has some meat to it. It has something that has some substance. And so he, he centers this whole meal around sacrifice and so this whole meal is about, about death. It's about submission now, which is very different from what it used to be. It used to be a celebration of being liberated, and now he's centering it around, these are my elements, blood and flesh, and I want you to eat it. It's, it's bread and it's wine. I want you to partake in this death with me. So I am going to die, and you are going to die with me. So if you want to sit at this table, you have to become familiar with the taste of sacrifice. This table is about tasting sacrifice over and over again. It's about tasting submission over and over again. If you don't if you if we can't become familiar with sacrifice, we don't have a seat at the table. It's the only requirement to sit at this table is submitting to Jesus's agenda, which is what Judas isn't willing to do. See, we get to the ta- Getting to the table involves us. And I think it's interesting, we look at this passage, that Jesus, he, he, he gives, we find out that, the, that it's Peter and, and John, or the two disciples in a different gospel, that he commissions to go out and prepare this meal. And was, is, I love what he, what he gives them. He just gives them a little bit of information. I want you to go into a city. You're going to see a guy there. He's going to carry a jug of water. And you just kind of go, and then he's going to tell you where to go. It's just very mysterious. It almost kind of feels like an amazing race to me. It's like, and especially they would have been in Bethany, which is a couple miles from Jerusalem. The Passover has to happen in Jerusalem. So he's essentially saying, go to one of the largest cities in the area and just search for a guy holding a jug of water. It doesn't feel like that. And it's, just, and it's two of them, which is an amazing race too. I'm and so he's just searching. I can just picture Peter and John like, oh, maybe that's, no. That's not water. That's wine. Maybe, uh, maybe that guy. And it would have been. It would have. It would have. They would have known who it was because customarily the women would have carried the jug of water, not the men. So seeing it, they probably would have known who it was. But it still takes some searching in a large city to just walk around and find who this is. So they're what they. It's interesting. They, they actually when they get there, they find that the room's already ready. Like, Jesus had already prepared everything for them, but then he still tells them to go. Isn't that weird? Why would he do that? It's like he wants us to play a part, but he also wants us to just take care of everything for us. It's so beautiful how he does. I think about this this space location search with us. Like, he's already provided. He already had that for us, right? We've been praying about this for a year, searching. Like, God, what are you going to do? I don't know. All we have is these little things like, okay, how about you just pray about like, who you are? How about you just, how about you just try to find, find relationship, find community? And then we just continue to take these little steps. And what we end up doing is we just find these, little, these men with water jugs over and over again. They're these signposts that tell us, okay, this is the next thing. I don't, I don't, I, it feels right. This is, this is the, the story of walking and calling, is that you don't always know where exactly you're going, but you know a little bit. And if you, if you know a little bit, you know what to look for. And it can take years 
just waiting. It could take years where you just search and walk around the city looking for the man with the water jug. We're all searching for it. We're all searching for it. And then you find it, and it's just like he said. Just like he said. And then he says, prepare the meal. Prepare the meal. And then you sit before him, and then, that's the, this is the hardest part. You sit before him, and you realize the treachery is in me. I, I'm, I'm guilty of something here. I know that I am. And he goes around the table over and over again, and they all say, surely not I. Surely not I. Surely not I. He gives us four tools here in this passage. The first one is to listen. Listen to his instructions. The first step, some of the, some of the gospels have the disciples saying something first. Some of, the, some of the gospels have Jesus saying something first. We don't know how the interaction went. But it, it takes a step of saying, I'm going to listen to what Jesus says in this moment. I have to hear what he says. And he may not say much, right? He may just, he may just say, go to Jerusalem, right? He may just say, ministry. And we don't know what it means, but we just take the step. We, when we, we enter the city, right? So we listen to his instructions, and we, just, we enter the city, and you just search. When you're in there, you just search. Okay. Even, with, even in the unknown, even in the unknown. So we listen, we enter, and then we find it. We find it just like he said we would. You have to look for your man with the water jug. And then we prepare the meal, and you just do the thing that's set before you. You just do the thing that's set before you. So as I've, I've, as I've reflected, I've reflected a lot. I'm not very good at getting in touch with my feelings very much. I'm, I'm more, definitely more of a, a head-type person. And this week I've been having to really get in touch with my feelings and reflecting. I also don't reflect well. I, I look at the future a lot, and the past is kind of the past, and it is what it is. And this week I've just reflected on the path that's led me even to this day. And I remember being first, first hearing the call to ministry. And it wasn't anything spectacular, but it was just this, this constant like nagging feeling within me. Like, and all I knew was God was saying that word, ministry. And then about a year or two later, I heard him say the word church planning. And I was like, okay. And I was 21, and I was like, church planning. I, there's, that's not going to happen, God. And I don't have a gregarious personality. I'm not the church planter that many books would tell you you need to be. And it, it seemed like everything would be not in the cards for me to do what I felt like I heard God say. And so, but I just entered the city. I said, okay, I, I met with um, Pastor Tom Tanner at Riverstone. And I, at 21, I said, hey, I think I'm supposed to plant a church. He was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and there's so much kindness in him. Honestly, like, it, I, I, I hope that I can have the same response when somebody comes to me like that one day. And I remember him saying, okay, awesome. Why don't you pray about, pray about it, you know? <laughs> like, why don't you pray about that? It's, the, it's like the Christian, ver- the Christian way to say no, right? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> pray about that. So, it at least it at least give you a couple more years, right? You, you still you still been praying? <laughs> yeah, I'm praying. So I, I'm, I, 
but he actually he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. He eventually invited me to be a part of a church planning small group, which is where I'm with other church planners where I met um, Josh. And I was like 15 years younger than anybody in there. It was awkward. Like, I was like, there's no, why am I even here? All I, I mean, all I had was words that God had told me. And I was just searching. And so he said, okay, how about you just start serving in some ministries that you feel like God's leading into? And I said, okay. So I started. And I, I, for some reason, I was brought to the, the, the verse in 1 Kings about Elisha and Elijah. And it says that Elisha ministered to Elijah. So, okay, so if it, and the actual word minister means serve. And so, it was like, so he, Elijah just served Elijah, so I, I'll just do that. I just found people at Riverstone, I just, a couple specific people, and I said, I'm going to serve this person. And I did that for years, just entering into the cities. Okay, I'm just going to do this. And then we, me and my wife were looking for a house, and I, we, as we were praying in the process of, of church of church planning, even though we weren't going to, we, all we could hear is South Cobb. We're like, okay. There was no churches in South Cobb. We felt really, like, both strongly convicted that South Cobb was the place. And we specifically felt like we were supposed to plant a church that was very relational and that that would be the way we would do mission, that we would reach our community through the relationships that happen here. And so I, I meet Josh and Sarah in this small group, and I'm they literally tell us the like vision of their church. It's the exact thing that we that we felt like God was saying. It was like, so Josh, you were my man with the water jug. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you, you guys were. It was it was this signpost. Like, okay, I, it wasn't like God was saying like, that's it. Look, pay attention. It was just like, okay, that's that's. I found it just like you said I would, God. And so I we just entered in and we said okay, and so we. We've been preparing the meal for, for four years here, and, and so th- it feels unique and special to me to be able to share this with this community today. But as I reflect on it, all I remember, all I remember in, the, in the past five or six years as this kind of journey has been going on, it's, been, it's just been like su- having to submit and serve people constantly and say no to my own agenda over and over again, yeah. right? Like, like a lot of people, and you, you just see a certificate, but it means nothing if it didn't come from a place of service. And so we all have this, this opportunity to enter into service, enter into submission over and over again. And it's the only way, it's the only way that you ever get to a table that's, that's worth anything. It's through submission. So now that we're at the table, we have to realize that submission got us here and it keeps us here. And I want to look at Judas for a minute and we have to... Judas gets a pretty bad rap, to be honest. We, like, no one, I've never met someone named Judas, right? Like, <laughs> think about it. There's, like, some names that, like, just can't be redeemed, right? Like, you're not going to name your kid Hitler or Mussolini, Stalin. Like, I've never met a Jezebel. <laughs> Jude, Jude, like, Judas is one of those names. You're like, don't, don't do that one. Like, we'll go, we'll go Jude, we'll go Judah. <laughs> Don't do Judas, right? <laughs> but it's unique. He says in, in verse 10, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. He wants you to know 
specifically who this person is. I'm going to use his first name, his last name, and I want you to know who he belonged to. Because this man had, he had the certificate, he had everything he, he needed, he had the, the spiritual prestige label. I, he was one of the 12. And we can't forget that. And it doesn't matter where you're at, what title you have, you can do the most treacherous act in the midst of having the greatest title. So Judas, and, I, and if you think back, I mean, it says in the beginning of the Gospels that, that Jesus chose Judas. He was chosen. He was chosen as one of the 12. He's listed. I mean, how many of, I mean many of you are here because you were, you were chosen, right? You were chosen. You, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for three years. But where does the story end? For Judas, it ends in treachery, but it could have ended a different way. And so it started with submission for him. And if you'll pull up Psalm 41, look at this, Bill. So it says in Psalm 41, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. So this is a, this is a, a prophecy that was spoken about Judas. And you better believe that Jesus, when he chose him, knew this verse. You have to believe that he, he it, this would have rang in his ears for three years. Walking alongside him, sharing life and meals with this man over and over again, knowing that this would happen. There is so much patience in Jesus. Like, I just remember, the last five or six years, I've, 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 I've had to confront my own ambition over and over again. And, and I've felt the temptation to, to treachery over and over again. But I just see Jesus constantly waiting, like, just looking at me. And I'm like, oh, surely not I. Surely it's not me. And this would have rung in his ears for three years. And so what, what would have motivated Judas to do this? There's a few ideas out there of why G Judas would have done this. First off, it would have been greed. Um, he, we already know he carried the money bag and pilfered from it, so he was obviously willing to cross that line. So possibly, it doesn't seem like a very good route, though. If you want to make bank, I'm probably not hanging out with Jesus, just be honest. It said that he didn't have a place to lay his head most nights. Like, this isn't the path. You probably would have found about six months in, okay, I'm not making any money on this. I don't know if it was necessarily greed. I mean, he only makes 30 pieces of silver for him. I don't really think that the motivation was money. Could have also been jealousy. Some people think that he was specifically jealous of John. John is seen laying his head on Jesus' chest, being his most beloved disciple. Maybe he saw... John gets something that I want. And maybe he did it out of a, a desire to fight up against John. It doesn't seem like a good enough reason, though. Another reason, maybe he was jealous of Jesus. Maybe Jesus was getting all the attention, all the fame, and he wanted it. And so he, maybe he wanted to put him to death to get rid of him so that he could have his place. I think the more likely reason, though, is probably surprising, is that Judas may have not even wanted Jesus dead at all. 
maybe we we know we knew we knew that Judas was a nationalist. He was he was a person that really believed that Israel had the answers, and he really would have believed in a conquering Messiah, one that would come and take control of everything and establish Israel as as the dominant power. And so what he keeps finding, and as we start to move towards the end of the story, he's starting to see, this isn't going the direction I wanted it to. I wanted this, I wanted him to conquer, and he keeps talking about death. He rides on a donkey a few days ago, and I wanted to ride on a horse. And he starts to see, and he's saying, this isn't isn't the way it's going to go. A lot of people think that he may have just been trying to force Jesus' hand. Like, what if, I, what, if I, what if I bring the authorities to him, and then he will turn? Maybe then he'll conquer them, because if they try to arrest him, oh, he's got he's to turn his back on these things that he's been talking about, and maybe he'll take control then. This is, it actually is a pretty good hypothesis, because it makes sense why he throws the money back at them, because it didn't happen the way he wanted. And he realizes that he ends up putting him to death, and, he's, and Matthew, it says that he commits suicide. He hangs himself in the end out of regret. And so there's, there's a possibility that he didn't even want Jesus to die, but he wanted him to conquer. And what we see is that Judas had an ambition, a desire for Jesus to be something that he wasn't going to be. And he was conflicted. Every time that he would talk about death, he wanted to talk about conquering what is it in you that you want Jesus to be that he's just not willing to be? He's not willing to be, he's not just your mate, he's your king. Like he, he's, he has the agenda. He, you don't write your own. That's not, the, that's not the path of this table. The path of this table is he writes the agenda. He writes the narrative. And many of us don't want it. If you'll pull up a quote, this is by William Barclay. I couldn't read this this week without crying. Sorry. Probably won't happen here because I'm really strong. <laughs> Says we shudder at, Jesus, at Judas. But let us think again. Covetousness, jealousy, ambition, the dominant desire to have our own way of things. Are we so very different? These are the things which made Judas betray Jesus. And these are the things which still make men betray him. So, as I put myself in this story, I'm not Mary, I'm not Peter, I'm not John, I'm Judas. I do this every day. Right? Like, I'm going to be honest, like, part of the reason I'm in ministry is because I I wanted to do something worthwhile. I, I had my own ambition. I had, it's interesting how God's calling always intermingles with our flesh. And we're like, okay, I know I hear you saying that, but I, this is the three years for Judas. He's like, I, I, I've been called, but I'm kind of intermingling what my own agenda in with this a little bit. This is whole, my whole calling to ministry. I, I know what it, what it feels like to, to want my own way, to, to stand in front of people and talk and, and look polished and have a certificate and be something special. All the while, the path... But the table is death. It's me dying to my own way. And, and I just pictured this, this image in the, at the table. They're all sitting there. And it's like G- Jesus, for three years, he's giving him every opportunity. He literally gives him the money bag. 
Every opportunity to turn away. Please don't do this, Judas. Please don't do it. Over and over again. How many opportunities have you had? How many opportunities does it take? Please don't do it. Please don't do it. He gives him at the very last moment. He's, it's like he's waiting, and he goes around the table to each one. Surely not I. Surely not I. Please. And he's just waiting, every person, and he's just, I can picture him looking at Judas and saying, please, please confess it. Please give it over. This is your chance. And he denies it. Surely not I. We have an opportunity. He gives us every chance. Sometimes it can be too late. It's not too late today. This table, he draws us over and over again. He called Judas. He's called many of you. And he's calling you over and over again to come back. And just because you get to the table doesn't mean, just because you're one of the 12, just because you have some label, doesn't mean that you have anything that, that can't be hidden from him. And he sees it all. Know that, know that you serve the omnipotent one, the one who sees your heart, who knew Judas when the moment he called him. He knew, he knows the things in us, the ambitions and the desires that, that sit at the surface that we don't want anybody else to see, he knows those things. It's not something to be afraid of because I think if Judas, if Judas admits it in this moment and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I should never have done it. Oh, I think I, just, I, think I see him. They think, I think their last kiss ends much differently. Instead, it ends in a garden. And Jesus arrested. So submission is what gets us to the table. It's what, it's what keeps us here. The worship team wants to come up and the prayer teams will close. There are two things I'd like to end with. And that you can interact with in prayer today. First off, you need to, it, today is a day for you to have the opportunity to confess your Judas. Reveal the thing in you that you have been saying for so long, surely not I. It's the opportunity to say, to put it out on the table. It happens in community. It's not just something that, well, I'll just tell Jesus on my own. Jesus had the opportunity in front of his peers, in front of the ones he loved, to let it go and turn from his ways. Today is a day. Come up, receive prayer. These are people that would love to sit at that table with you. And practically, we have a path in this scripture of how to constantly enter into that cycle of preparing the meal. We listen to the voice of God. We enter into the city. We find it just like he said it would be. And then we prepare. And it's all about submission. Give it over to him. Give it over to him. Let's pray.
in your mind's eye right now, I just want you to imagine this story. I want you to imagine the calling of Judas. The day when he threw aside his net or whatever he had to follow. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. For three years he served him. He tried his best. He put his best foot forward over and over again. I want you to see Jesus all over and over again. I love you, Judas. I love you, Judas. You're my friend. Don't do this. Don't do this. But in your mind's eye, what if the story was written differently? What if he gave it back? What if he said, no, I won't stand for this. I, I want to submit to whatever you want, Jesus. I want to die with you. God, today we have an invitation to be with you at this table. You want us. You want us. Thank you for your kindness and your gentleness. Thank you that you have tenderly loved us and drawn us over and over again. Thank you that today you don't stand in judgment against us. But you see us and you see your beloved. You see us like we are sitting like a bride at the end of an altar. You are my beloved and I am pleased with you today. So we come to you and say, I want your love now. I'm going to put aside my own agenda, my ambitions, and I want you. You are my path. You are my way forward. And I will sit with you at this table all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgive us for going long, but I, I do feel like this is important in our season. But Pastor Mark is going to come up and just speak a word over. He spoke the most significant thing over us in this journey by far. There's, there's a, some seconds and thirds, but by far the most important thing that's been spoken to us is that Jesus is going to turn our community into a radical community that has a revival of, you said, con contemplative life and hospitality. So we would be a radical community of hospitality. That makes me happier than anything in the world. So he's gonna, I'm going to let him pray over us and speak over us, and then you guys are free to go. Amen. First of all, thanks, Jordan. What a powerful word. Appreciate it. Really ministered to me. I, I, um, yeah, when Josh had mentioned to me in a text that he wanted me to um, just uh, give you what I felt like the Lord's giving me and then pray over you. So this morning as I was praying uh, for you, I asked the Lord for a word. And what I, what I saw was like this, um, this small sacred fire uh, that you folks were guarding, not guarding in a bad way, trying to keep it from people, but guarding with your own hearts to, to come and to receive what God is doing. But then he showed me this, uh, this wind that comes in and the, and the fire begins to flame up. And, um, and in that moment, I begin to see the most important thing you guys do is to feed the fire 
so that it continues to flame up and even begins to spread. And uh, I was asking the Lord, well, what, what do they feed it with? Which really relates to what Jordan was sharing today. I, I felt like he said two things. Self-giving love to Jesus. Uh, that results in full surrender, continuing to surrender to him, giving yourself fully to him. That's what Jordan was pushing into today. Whatever's in your life, just keep coming to him. He, he, wants, to, he wants to fully redeem us. But the other thing is self-giving love for others in service and sacrifice. And as a, as a community, as you're giving yourself into these areas, uh, as, a, as, a, as the Spirit uh, brings that flame to an even greater intensity, I think you would see it even build and spread. So, Lord, I bless this community today. Lord, I thank you for the sacred flame that's in this community, of your presence, of your nature, of your power. And, Lord, we, we pray now for a great move of your Spirit's wind across this community. Lord, that would bring that flame to an even greater intensity, even at a level of awakening, Lord. An intensity of awakening for the community as well as for the, the community around uh, River City, Lord. And I ask, Lord, you continue to move in this to be uh, these people, Lord, to be a people of uh, self-giving love, self-giving love to you, Jesus, self-giving surrender, obedience, but also, Lord, a, a self-giving love for the people around them, for the community, Lord, uh, giving in service, giving in sacrifice, Lord. I pray you continue to to move in them. We thank you, Lord, that even now you're positioning them for the days that are ahead with this, this new addition that they're, they're bringing into, uh, into their life. Lord, I, I pray that you uh, continue to lead them, continue to minister in them. And we pray, Lord, that the fire of your presence, of your power, of your nature would flame up in a fuller and greater way in the days ahead that would even shake this community. We love you, Jesus. We love you and we honor you today. And I pray your greatest blessings upon this people in your holy name. Amen. God, I pray that you'd go with us and before us and guide us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.